OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes, check out my new site. Which side is it? Yes, my family made me this awesome new sign. So it is up on the wall, waiting for my Brett Favre signed jersey to get framed. That'll be going up there shortly, but we are making moves here. Welcome back to Searching for Ceiling. As always, I will be joined here shortly by the great Lord Reeves. Mr. Rich Rebar will be here one second. Taking a look back at the week four slate taught me a couple of lessons. One, we need to be, well, I hate using these like sweeping assumptions, but in this season of downscoring, I think we need to be paying attention to a little bit more focused on teams as opposed to game environments. We'll get into what I mean by that here shortly, but that is a teaser for us for this week where there are some interesting spots this week in particular where some teams are set up for success, not necessarily the game environments that they're playing in. So with that, welcome back to Searching for Ceiling presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. We'll be right back. One Week Season. The great Rich Rebar. How are we doing today, man? We're doing real good. It was, uh, you know, a, a fun week. I actually had I had my first losing week last uh, oh, last dude. week. Yeah, and, uh, it's a I, bummer. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, I got shut out. I did not cash a single oh. one of my five rosters. The first time, and I can't remember the last time that happened. Uh, but that was my week last week. Uh, and we press on. And, and you know, I, I look back to some of the things we talked about on Friday, and like we were on a lot of things. You know, we had you were on the Cole Komet train. Uh, yep. And I did have the, my only like w- one lineup that kind of like tried to pull me back from the grave was uh, a stacker on that game. Unfortunately, it had our guy Marvin Mims uh, on the same yes. on the same roster. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't have enough Colt Komet, uh, you know, coming in where he was priced. I wish I had a lot more exposure, but you were on that one. Yeah, I think I was I was talking with the OWS crew um, late Sunday night, and I was like, dude, I got shut out this week for the first time, and since I can't remember, and uh, Zandamir texting me back he's like how do you get shut out when your starting point was justin fields and cole command i was like <laughs> wouldn't you like to know <laughs> yeah you know uh, uh, i look back on last week though and and, and i've been guilty of this at, at a time or two but uh you there was almost i had too many plays i wanted to play and i spread myself yeah. out and got kind of scatterbrained and that really kind of back, came back and hurt me i hope this week is is more solid because we have our first 10 games late you know with the bye weeks and there's still a london game so things are a lot i've already noticed when i wrote up like the core play stuff like things are a lot more concentrated than where i was last week i just had too many players in my pool last week and sometimes that you'll have weeks like that where you're really guilty of it you try to cover too many bases uh, yeah. And it ends up pulling you back and makes your overall lineup construction weaker and uh, definitely was a problem for me last week. So let's get into that. That was a great lead in into this slate where we now have just 10 games. Uh, we know that we have uh, our first week of bye weeks. We have another London game with the Buffalo Bills now traveling to uh, London to take on the Jags team that got to just hang out in London for a week. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, and then the the big picture of the slate, though, is we have a lot of top offenses that are or concentrated offenses that are not on this slate. So tell me a little bit about kind of your feelings on the macro, I guess, state of this slate, as we call it at one week season. 
And I think especially when you look at the structure of this slate as well, the games that are going to be kind of primarily primarily focused on as far as like, you know, stacking and large field stuff are all in the afternoon as well, yeah. which we haven't had yet this year. Uh, you know, we've had some late swap pivot options and, and, you know, a game or two that is at four o'clock. But the entirety of the slate, we look at Eagles, Rams, uh, Chiefs, Vikings, obviously be the most popular game. Uh, you know, people are going to target this Broncos defense until they give us a reason yes. not to. Uh, and then yeah. Bengals Cardinals, I think, is really, you know, kind of like really interesting game that probably, we'll probably talk about. But this one o'clock slate doesn't have a lot of full like back and forth you know, games on it, which we really haven't had yet. So it's going to be really interesting to see. This is going to be a big week where if you're winning money at one o'clock or in the early slate, you know, I wouldn't be cash out. <laughs> counting on that the whole to last. Yeah. Cash out option, please. Uh, <laughs> the That's an interesting point. And also in that early slate are two teams that carry two of the top three uh, biggest supply team totals on the slate. And that was kind of what brought me into that introduction is we still have a Detroit Lions team that is expected to score almost four touchdowns. We have a Miami Dolphins team who is currently projected to score 30 points. Are these places where you're looking to capture some hidden upside that might not get the attention that we're expecting because it's a two game environments with a spread of 10 points and 12 points? Yeah, I, I think especially, you know, the Dolphins are not going to go, you know, overlooked. Uh, because they're just so exciting every week. They scored 70 points a couple weeks ago. And even last week, they averaged almost seven yards per play. They kind of got yeah. in their own way in that Buffalo game, you know, with some turnovers and penalties, uh, removing a couple touchdowns off the board. Um, so I think people will still get there. You have the Giants on a short week uh, going to play in Miami. We still know it's early enough in the season, like a lot of these early season, you know, games in Miami because the way they have their stadium structured. I know a lot of people know about this, but it's for those that don't. They have their stadium structured so the opponent plays in the sun the entire game. Like their entire sideline is in the sun and the Dolphins are not. Yeah, uh, It's one of these weird things. I can't believe it's like they're actually allowed to do this. It's really weird, the stadium design. But definitely uh, an advantage early in the year. Um, and this Giants defense has been so bad to start the year. So I don't think that they're going to go overlooked. But I still think people are trying to figure out what to do with, you know, De Devin H. on. Like uh, he's he could still be underpriced, right? Like we still live in a world where like, what if he is, I don't want to label anyone like the second coming of Chris Johnson. Obviously a lot of people are getting to those comps the last couple of weeks, but what if he just can't be put back in the bottle and he is a guy that should be, you know, seven K eight K and he, we're still just like, we should just keep playing him. You know, obviously he's not going to average 11 and a half yards per carry the entirety of the season. Yeah. But but like there still is like another he's in another great matchup. Uh, there are 10 point home favorites. Like, do we not overlook it? And then on the passing side, you know, obviously people will get the Tyree kill. But like, when does Jalen Waddle pop? Right. Like, we know it's going to happen. Like, is this the week? Do we keep chasing it? Uh, DraftKings still like refuses to budge on Jalen Waddle's pricing. FanDuel knocked him, though, down like he's the wide receiver 14 on the main slate, like around guys like Cortland Sutton and Adam Thielen. Right. On that over there. Yeah. And, like, that's really palatable to play for, like, even if he does have some volatility, like, the company he's keeping, I feel like I want to bite uh, uh, in that area. Do you think, talking about all our, our, our best friend, Wink Martindale's defense, do you think that he's going to continue to just bring the pressure and force his guys to play man coverage behind that against Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and company? Is that something that, like, have you, have you worked through how you think Wink is going to handle this spot? 
I, I kind of worked through it, and I think when we get to the Chiefs Vikings, talk about that and what Brian Flores is going to do. I think it's just yeah. the damned if he does, damned if he doesn't situation, right? Like, because, you know, if, if they do blitz Tua, Tua against the blitz this season has third in the NFL in quarterback rating. Uh, he's 23 of 34, four passing touchdowns against the blitz already. Uh, and then when teams blitz him but don't get pressure on the blitz, He's yes. averaging 9.3 yards per pass attempt in those situations. Then you say, all right, well, what if we're, you know, we're not, we're going to do the Belichick route. Like we're just going to drop back and try to play coverage. I mean, two is also averaging 10.3 yards per attempt when he's not getting pressure. So can they get pressure? Obviously Dexter Lawrence can get pressure, but like anyone else get pressure on this, in this defensive line. It's really tough to say. So I think it's just a, like I said, a really situation where you're damned if they do, damned if they don't. I think when you're looking at the Miami side, you just wonder if it's a situation where they get pressed and they have to keep throwing. I think that's the, the question with the Lions too, more so on the Lions side because of the way their play calling splits have been when they've been ahead yeah. compared to the Dolphins. But if the Giants can't punch back, now remember the Giants have not scored an offensive touchdown in the first half of any game this season. Yeah. If just this four game total is, too. If this game is twenty-seven to three or twenty-four to nothing at the half, like is it going to be like a full-on blitzkrieg? Uh, and I think that's where you get that's where the fulcrum point of the slate goes when you're comparing the Miami Dolphins, who obviously have this great matchup, huge team total, versus some of the price points of other guys like Tua versus Mahomes or Tua yeah. versus uh, or Kirk Cousins or Tyreek versus Justin Jefferson as one-offs. The Vikings are probably just going to get a lot more pushback in like four quarters of back and forth play in a game environment where we need the Giants to do something here. That is, I'll push back a little bit. Not that I disagree that we need the Giants need to push the Dolphins back because we, I mean, two weeks ago we saw like Mike McDaniel was not going to just stop playing football. Um, <laughs> there, I mean, it's highly unlikely that the that the Dolphins are going to put up. 70 points again at any you know relative frequency but this is a team that is has super bowl aspirations they're coming off an embarrassing loss where they gave up a butt ton of points in buffalo they only put up and this is only for miami they only put up 20 points so is yeah. this is mike mcdaniel the mad genius the the guy who throws caution to the wind and doesn't care what people say or think about him. Is this a spot where it's more or less a get right spot for this team? And I'm highly intrigued. And while, while I think people are going to get to dolphins players, people are not going to overlook this offense being the top team total on the slate, everything. But mm -hmm. when you look at like, what if wink continues to just play man coverage like Tyreek Hill against man coverage over his career, but let alone like the, his two seasons in Miami, look out. It's, it's going to get ugly fast or it could get ugly fast. Who is stacking like the pulling of a, a four person overstack. Like I have on the screen right now, just an interesting idea from me from a theoretical perspective to capture bulk upside. Like, would we be shocked waking up on Monday morning and being like, Oh Yeah. The Dolphins scored seven touchdowns against um, <laughs> against the the Giants. That makes sense. Like, okay, they didn't score seventy, but seven touchdowns. Like a forty nine burger is is gonna have some upside. Tyreek Hill and the backfield and Tua. What does Tua need? Well, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of top quarterbacks on the slate, but if the Dolphins are scoring six, seven touchdowns, there could be because of how concentrated this offense is. There could be 
a path to all these guys kind of hitting together. I mean, we saw it two weeks ago. Yes, they scored 70 points. We'll, we'll save that discussion. But we saw it two <laughs> weeks ago where it's like Tua still passed for 300 yards and three touchdowns and hit, what was it, 30 fantasy points. Like, this is still within his range of outcomes. He 31.36 fantasy points, passed for 300 yards and four touchdowns. Is that a potential here? I would think so. I don't know if... I don't know if this team is one that kind of needs that pushback. So while I expect Devon Achan to be to garner some ownership, while Raheem Mostert is probably going to garner some ownership, while Tyreek Hill is going to garner some ownership, I don't think anybody is going to be looking to just like go all into this spot because of the salary that it takes to do so. Um, but there are some interesting value places to hunt for this week that could make something like this possible. That's my take on it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might throw one of six or seven lineups that I have in play uh, into something like this in an attempt to just capture bulk upside all at once. Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, you know, the, especially with Tyreek. I mean, Tyreek is a guy that obviously he can get there on just a, he doesn't need the 14 target game even though he could potentially even get it and and, and, because they could just run like games like that Broncos game. He was set up to probably have a lot more targets in that game than what ended up happening. But I mean, yeah, if they're going to blitz, I mean, since he joined the dolphins, uh, Tyreek Hill is averaging 4.5 yards per route run against the blitz with two on the field. Uh, Yeah, absolutely bonkers. Like just stupid, just stupid numbers. Um, And like I said, I I still am interested in Waddle for sure. Still in this game too, and 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 maybe it's just a thing where I'm chasing it with Waddle, and like he's just yeah, uh, like a bugaboo for me. But like I know that he's not going to average 17 and a half targets per route run. Like last year with two on the field, it was at 25 and a half percent. Like he had a touchdown get called back last week uh, with a legal diamond downfield. Feels like that's been like a point emphasis for the league the last two years too. The illegal yeah. and downfield, but uh, I feel like he's going to have one of these weeks. I agree. I don't know, it, Mike. Uh, Mike McDaniel is the kind of guy that kind it like he will see a an edge that his offense has and just exploit. I mean, look just at last going. year. Yep, just there was a it. game where he called the same exact play like eight plays in a row. It was insane, <laughs> like the same exact play. And the, yeah, so if if he's got like Tyreek Hill and man coverage, if uh, assuming that that is how Wink handles this spot, it's like, why, why would he not just feed his backfield and Tyreek Hill in that setup? So I don't know. I, I, I agree with you and Waddle. I don't know if this is necessarily the week where I will personally get there, uh, but he's going to have a game or two at some point where he's a piece that you had to have on a slate. Just don't know if it's going to be on this one question here. Weather concerns in Miami, we're still, even on Friday, we're still a little bit too far out to get an accurate picture. Current forecast only has scattered thunderstorms on Sunday. I just checked it out. Um, Remember that Broncos the- game had weather implications too. It never got yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And we talked about that too. Um, so this is something that I will update again this week. Um, we're starting to get into the season where um, the – Cold fronts and the warm fronts are mixing, which makes these lines of thunderstorms happen. Uh, I'll save you, save you the weather lesson, but that's kind of how it happens this time of year. Um, so I will update everybody on the weather uh, later on. And good day to you as well, Chris. Um, let's talk real quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but let's talk about the other game in the morning uh, portion or the early portion. Uh, and that's this Lions game. Um, tell me about your thoughts on this spot. If you see any areas where we can look to attack. 
Well, this team, this team more in general than the Dolphins team. Like I agree with you. Like the Dolphins could even score five touchdowns in the first half of that game and call like, yeah. the dogs off, right? Like, yeah. The Lions have kind of shown us though. Like they're they're already they're seven percent below pass rate expectation. They're thirty first in the league in drop back rate. If we mm-hmm. remove the fourth quarter, they're still twenty eighth in the league in drop back rate. Like this is a team when they have the lead, they will run the football. And they will lean on that offensive line. They will lean on David. I mean, David Montgomery was came into last week's game injured and had 34 touches yeah. uh, on a short week. Like, this team will grind you out. And we have Amon Ra dealing with some kind of core injury now. Yep. Uh, and we have this Carolina defense that actually has been has held up against the pass relatively okay, even with missing some of the pieces they've had, like J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson getting banged up. But they have just been crushed on the ground, like, so far to open the year. So, like – I look at this and I'm just like, man, like this is tailor made for the Lions to just kind of squish the the Panthers, especially with the struggles, you know, Bryce Young has had to start the year. So they have more of a signal of like if they're if they're up early, like it could just be ground and pound time. Uh, maybe that we that helps Jameer Gibbs at some point uh, in the second half. But for him not to get touches in that game last yeah. Thursday was really kind of troublesome. And the, if you look at like his receiving splits, too, it goes back to last year. When the Lions, before they traded TJ Hawkinson, they were not targeting the running backs. They had targeted running backs just 17.7% of the time. They trade TJ Hawkinson, and then they target their running backs 24% of the time the rest of the year, the second highest rate in the league. This year, to start the year, their target rate to running backs has gone all the way back down, and it's 17.5% again, right pre-trade of Hawkinson. And who did they add? Sam Laporta, who's Mm -hmm. making an impact, Sam Laporta. So... Uh, that's kind of what's hurt Jameer Gibbs the most is that we're not getting the receiving role that we thought we were the consistent receiving role. He does have a game with nine targets, but we, on a week to week basis, we aren't seeing the running backs involved in the passing game. Like they were to agree to close last year. And that's been his main thorn. His usage has been on part of what I believe what, what it was going to be. But I mean, this is a game where I look at the lions though, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, is it just another David Montgomery week? Yeah, I think that I will handle this game just basically as you laid it out. I think it's just you, you play Dave Montgomery and you move on because of the team tendencies, the extreme run funnel matchup. The fact that the lions have one of the top, maybe six, seven offensive lines in the league. Uh, They actually have not been performing as such on uh, in the run game. They have been performing as such in the past game, but um, you look at who this Carolina Panthers defense is and Via Ejiro's uh, um, scheme defensively, they've basically funneled teams to the ground. And it just has allowed, because they're playing with pace, because they have a rookie quarterback, because they are not afraid to open up the pass volume if they are trailing, and they've been trailing a lot, um, it, open, it exposes their defense to just this ground and pound kind of um, teams are able to just draw out the game and ground and pound their way to a victory. And I I feel like this spot sets up for another one of those. And David Montgomery, 53 carries and two targets in his two full healthy games. He also has five touchdowns in what amounts to approximately 10 quarters of work. So that pace is uh, about a touch 1.6 touchdowns per full game expectation on his current pace. And we know that's probably not going to continue, but we know that the lions have an extreme bias towards the ground in the red zone particular. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, this spot just kind of sets up like, I would not be shocked if 
old old Dave Montgomery gets another 25, 26 carries, is able to he, – he's only averaging 3.9 yards per tote, so he's going to need that type of volume most likely to pierce 100 yards, but he has that within his range of outcomes this week. And if he punches two touchdowns in and gets has that volume carry him to another 100-yard game, this is a guy that is going to be extremely valuable this week. So, yeah, I think I'm kind of handling it similar to you. It's just like Dave Montgomery should be on our radar and not much else particularly Amon Ross St. Brown is expected to not practice again Friday. And he has said this week that he intends on playing, uh, but this will be three practices in a row that he's missed with a core injury. So that could go any which way. We don't really know. Uh, any last thoughts on the early morning stuff before we get to the meat and potatoes here? Uh, no, I will say just, you know, I am going to stick with that. I'm not going to ignore Colts games you know, at all. I still think that this total is also coming in way too low. Yeah. Because the Colts, when Anthony Richardson plays, they, they're they the fastest team per second per snap in the NFL. And he's a guy that just runs on extreme highs and extreme lows as a passer, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just going to create these, like they're just going to consistently play in these unique game environments. And we saw it with the Rams last week. And I know that they're facing the Titans and everyone has like the, the, the doldrums of the Tennessee uh, offense. But I mean, I think that this, like I said, I'm going to always target the Colts until they give me a reason not to when the other Richards playing. And there are a couple pieces in that game that I think set up to be interesting, particularly the, the, the one guy that stands out to me where he's priced is DeAndre Hopkins. Um, mm-hmm. His weighted opportunity is just so good still uh, that if – and then this matchup is so good that, I mean, he's a guy that I just feel like is going to be overlooked by kind of basically a lot of people because he's not sexy. He's almost in yeah. like a Michael Thomas-esque fashion uh, of his career right now. Uh, but, you know, you look at these these lines against zone coverage, right, and, like, the, what what these receivers are putting up against these spaces against the Colts. I mean, Calvin Ridley, 8 for 101 and a touchdown. Nico Collins, 7 for 146 and 1. Zay Flowers at 8 for 48, you know, pretty mild. And then Puka Nakua last week for the 9-163 and 1. I mean, this is a game where if Anthony Richardson is able to kind of keep the, the tempo of this game up, that there is an opportunity, I think, for, you know, Hopkins to maybe even push double-digit receptions in this game. That's super interesting. I was going to ask you about Michael Pittman, and I thought you were going that way. Is well, he he's a, a guy that... Because it gets the Titans. That's why I think this game is interesting in general. Yeah. A little bit at the 1 o'clock. So you don't have to onslaught it, right? You can just get little minis and little pieces of it. You can do something yeah. like Richardson, Pittman, plus Hopkins, and then build around that. I like that. I like that a good bit. Um, and... The last piece of that, and I, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we got some some games to talk about from the afternoon. But the last piece of that is kind of this tendency of the Titans to scheme up their defense to be this like take away the run plus. They do they want to take away the run. Obviously, they are they have allowed the fewest yards per carry um, this season after allowing the fewest last season. So that is very clearly a point of emphasis for this team. But they add that plus. And what is that plus going to be this week? It's probably going to be centered around trying to contain Anthony Richardson. If I had to guess kind of how this team is looking to approach this spot, that plus is hammered down on the run with a contain, a spy, however they want to do it. It's probably going to involve their linebackers. Um, But how do they contain Anthony Richardson? And if that's the case, that is why typically we see teams are just turning to the air because that's what the Titans are showing them. And if that is the case this week, there's some interesting aspects with this pass offense 
it's probably going to revolve around Michael Pittman. And we know that his role is modest a dot. We know that he is a guy that is going to need volume, but this is a spot in particular where I think that Pittman could see this 11, 12 target game and whether or not he pierces a hundred yards is going to be key. But I think that's within his range of outcomes. If he tacks touchdown on there, now he's in the 26, 27 point range. So um, very interesting. Last question for you. Have you given up on Alec Pierce's downfield role yet? Because this seems like the spot for that to be in play. No, no. I was kind of looking at him and seeing if I'd get cute there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to see when I actually set up my lineups because uh, I want to see like what the the other ownership looks for some of the guys around there, you know, because we know we're going to see Rasheed Rice get some steam. We know people are going to yeah. want to punt with Wandell Robinson. Uh, we kind of have Michael Wilson floating around in that area too. So I'm curious to see like where the field is going to go. But I do think, like I said, the game environments for the Colts, I definitely want to still be kind of relatively early as Sean because they haven't given me any reason not to be. Yeah, 100%. Looking at Alec Pierce's underlying metrics, I mean, he's in a route on 100% of the yep. team's pass plays, and that is unlikely to change. And if the team is passing more, that's obviously more opportunity there his ADOT is 17.7 which is six deepest in the league of qualified uh pass catchers his snap share is elite so all of this stuff is like he's running perimeter against zone which we know um communication errors and stuff like that can ensue and uh, a guy streaking down the field as fast as Alec Pierce um there could be something there again I'm like you I don't really know if I'm gonna get there but I feel like we gotta at least talk about it a bit <laughs> but yeah I mean he's another um, one of these guys like you said he's not going to be like a Jalen Water where he's going to outright you know win a slate for you probably yeah. but there but we know we are going to especially pair with Anthony Richardson going to have at least I would say two to three games over the course of the season where he has 100 yards on four catches and one is like a 40 yard touchdown right like we are going to have yeah spots. I mean, and there's pinpointing also the, those obviously that's why we draft best ball teams but yeah if you were to objectively <laughs> if you were to objectively say like what does one of these spots look like you would probably at least get to this one yes and there's also the interesting aspect of Shane Steichen's offense where is he kind of making things as simple as possible on his rookie signal caller is he putting him in position to make fewer mistakes. And at what point does that change? Is it going to change? I would say we're probably not going to see in week 15, this Colts offense look as it does now with Anthony Richardson having the lowest intended air yards per pass attempt, um, where they're just kind of trying to march the field and minimize mistakes. They have this like Ferrari sitting in the garage and Anthony Richardson, he's got a bullet of an arm. He's got, obviously we know his athleticism at some point I expect Steichen to open things up and could it be week five again, if we're like trying to project things, if we're looking at the schedule in best ball and we're like, when is this offense going to open up? This probably is one of the weeks that we had circled in pencil. So uh, yeah, last final thoughts on that situation. Um, anything else, just onesie twosies from the morning that you want to quickly jam on before we check out these afternoon games? Uh, no, I mean, obviously, I think Bijan's in a really great spot. It's we don't have McCaffrey on the main slate. Um, I mean, I feel like at, at the top of pay up running backs, he 
is still the clear he's like a clear top guy and is in you know yeah. at home against a Texans defense that that still is giving up explosives and a lot of rushing points and he's getting so much use in the passing game and his usage uh continues to climb he's coming off of a season high backfield share in London um it feels like he's gonna drop a hammer too eventually but he's he's a guy I think if you're looking at early on you use you can allocate a lot of your top salary there and um because running back, it's going to be another one of these weeks where like people are really aren't paying all the way up again. Yeah. Uh, another guy who's up there in that price. I love the Bijan shout, by the way. Um, I circled him early in the week as a guy to target. Again, he's another guy. At some point, he's going to f- break off a long touchdown. Yes, he only has one carry inside the 10 versus five for his teammate and Tyler Aljair. But at some point, he's going to rip off a 40-yarder. Uh, at some point, he's going to rip off a 20-yarder. At some point, and we know that he kind of has this uh, this safety net in a very, very robust pass game role, five or six targets in every game this season. You talked about the uh, season high team opportunity share last week. Yeah, I love that shout. In the same kind of thought in a game that we just talked about, uh, Derrick Henry is still the king, guys. Um, <laughs> yes, he his offensive line is, is garbage. Uh, but we've seen it now two times this year where if the Titans are in a game, they're still going to base their offense around Derrick Henry. And his uh, what's, I think, hurting him real quick on that, what's hurting Henry even more than his poor run-blocking offensive line this year is kind of the team is tipping their hand when yeah. he's on the field because his snap to touch ratio is so high. They're like, Oh, Derrick Henry's on the field. They're going to get ball Derrick Henry. And that's why he is uh, like fifth in the league right now in stack box rate in, on his carries. Um, people are just loading the box. He he's seen almost eight defenders per in the box per his touch, which is absurd. Uh, anyway, that's a quick shout there. Uh, love that shout. Let's talk about these afternoon games. Um, Let's go to the game of what is probably perceived as the game of the week first here in Kansas City, Minnesota, with the emphasis on searching for hidden ceiling. Are you seeing anything that could be a little sneaky from this spot? Uh, I mean, uh, not so much like from a sneaky stance. It's another situation where you look at it and you say, well, what is Brian Flores going to do, right? Like, yeah, uh, you know, no team blitzes more than the Vikings. It's always been like a big no-no. No one ever blitzes Mahomes. He's once again last in blitz rate this year since he entered the NFL. He's led the NFL, you know, in quarterback rating against the blitz. The thing about the Vikings is, is they can't get any pressure without blitzing and they don't even get yes. pressure when they do blitz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're last in the NFL in pressure rate when they don't blitz. And they're 31st in the NFL in pressure rate when they do blitz. So I don't know, like, really what they do. They don't have the defensive backs. I mean, it's a situation where you probably look back similar to what they did against the Eagles in week two, where they just try not to let – they try to, like, play a lot of zone, make the Chiefs have to throw to some of these wide receivers that really haven't done much this season, uh, or try to invite them to run with Isaiah Pacheco. But I don't know really know what the the Vikings do here. I don't really know how they combat, you know – slowing down really Patrick Mahomes other than just playing a lot of coverage and making Mahomes have like an efficient throw underneath the coverage type of game. Yep. hundred percent. And you mentioned Isaiah Pacheco and we saw him get 20 touch or 20 carries. Was this the first time in his career that he saw 20 carries? I think it was, it was the highest backfield share of his career. 77%. Um, And he's almost, knocking at the door here of a uh, career highs at 10 catches for 90 yards and everyone's like, Oh, for through four games, whatever. That's not anything great, but he had yeah. 13 catches last year. 
Yes. Uh, it's, it's like even just a couple. The, the one thing I will say about Pacheco, because I think he's really good on this slate, and he, he does fit in your Minnesota bringbacks, right? Like or your Minnesota stacks. Like because that's e- it's easier to stack Cousins doubles than it is Mahomes always because you're paying yeah. up for a onesie position and Mahomes is already the highest place player in his position every week. Um, but the one thing about Pacheco is like we he had the long touchdown last week. Is the Chiefs still they do all this dicking around in the five yard line. Like they yes. do, they, they run a ton of jet motion. They involve like playing, guys like yeah. Noah Gray. So like Pacheco is in this role where you're like, all right, my guy, they got inside the five. My guy's going to get the, the cut, the touch that the chiefs aren't that team. And that's the one thing that like, I always get, can't ever get out of my head when like Pacheco becomes kind of popular. I'm like, this dude can have 120 yards, be the stone cold nuts. And then the chiefs run four gadget plays inside the four yard line or yeah. Jarek McKinnon scores. And you're just like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting point. And I think a lot of that kind of, it's a sam- a similar discussion to when we were talking about Bijan, right? Um, this back who has a robust, like between the Tony's role. I mean, Pacheco is not Bijan. I don't want that to be <laughs> the takeaway. We here. heard it. Uh, and yeah, Milo <laughs> said it. Um, the point is their touchdown equity on a weekly basis is not... Um, conducive to these elite ceilings but again those that's something that can change and Mm -hmm. we still have we have four data points for 2023 football where we have seen how these offenses are operating and i know we have a more robust data set with the chiefs in particular but this is still a team that is trying to figure things out i mean look at their snap rates i'm trying to pull it up here as i speak but Look at their snap rates over over the course of this season. Pacheco is still, he was a season high 60% last week. But we also have their wide receivers where no wide receivers playing over 60% of the offensive snaps. So this is very clearly a team that is still trying to figure things out. They are not like lighting the scoreboard on fire yet. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs, are we're accustomed to them just being in the top three of points scored per game on a seasonly basis. But that is not the case so far. At some point, though, that's probably going to change. And does it change this week? Do they try and take a look at how Pacheco can handle or a like a role inside the five? I don't know, but I think that is on the table. Uh, and it's very interesting to be early to those types of parties where the field makes these assumptions that they know how a team operates. And particularly that is the case in this. This is like, this is the transition area of the season. Look at some of the um, comments that like Bill Belichick has made over the years about like saying the NFL season doesn't start until November. Well, it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the truth of it. Like teams are still figuring things out right now. So we're like halfway through that, like figure it out stage of this season. And does that make Pacheco interesting? I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say it does, for sure. What about the other side of this game with the Vikings? Yeah, I mean, the Vikings go as we kind of see the opponent goes, right? Like, when they when they face these teams that are playoff caliber teams or they have to punch up, they are a team that operates well above pass rate expectation. And when we don't have a great sample of it, but the Panthers were the first example of this season when they play these teams – 
that they punch down with are really kind of non-playoff teams. They are below pass rate expectation. That happened again last week. And that kind of exposes the fragility of some people like the Jordan Addisons and even TJ Hawkinson, who is a guy that since he's been traded to Minnesota has operated literally through volume. Like he's, yes. he's not doing anything efficiency based, but when you're getting eight targets a game at a, at a, at a low bar position, it stands out. And we've seen that kind of pulled away where only Justin Jefferson got there last week. Um, but now we're in another game environment where we expect them to have to press the scoreboard. They, we expect them to have to punch up. So all these ancillary pieces then kind of crawl back into relevancy again. Uh, the Addisons, and I don't want to call Hawkinson ancillary piece. He still has a core piece, but um, he's a guy that still needs that volume, uh, especially at his price point because he you know, is priced behind Travis Kelsey on each site. So you have to pay up for him. I do think it is a little easier to do Viking stacks. Obviously, you can't come to this game and say, I'm going to play Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, plus Justin Jefferson, because that's 51% of your DraftKings salary. Yeah. Those three players. And anytime you pay up for two onesie positions, anyways, like you're just chasing the other positions. You have to basically play a punt play or maybe even multiple punt plays at positions that have higher ceilings than like tight end would have. And Kelsey hasn't yet given us that week yet right like yeah. that uh he's 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 towing the line you know seven catches six catches he's floating there on the 60 70 yard mark the last two weeks the target share is there everything but like for a salary he hasn't given us that like 120 yard multiple touchdown game like we know it, it could happen though uh but he yeah. hasn't given it he hasn't buried us yet for not playing him. And uh, hopefully this isn't a, a spot to continue because it's really hard. I think in this particular slate to go that route with the chiefs. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would also mention that if Travis Kelsey is hitting because his role is transitioning to more of this, like limited per touch upside uh, in this current iteration of the chiefs offense, it likely means that he's scoring multiple touchdowns. So theoretically, we should play, if we are playing Travis Kelsey, we should also play Patrick Mahomes because that upside is directly tied to each other. In doing so, I think an interesting way, if we do want to play that stack this week, and again, this is purely speaking from a theoretical perspective, we have a four-game sample size of Jordan Addison's route participation rate when playing from behind, and when playing with a lead. With a lead, it's down below 60%. But when playing from behind, when this offense transitions to a heavier rate of 11 personnel, his route participation rate is up around 85%. So that is a an interesting way to attack this spot. We've seen flashes, um, we'll call it flashes in the pan, of Jordan Addison's um, intriguing upside we'll say when he's running routes and this could be another spot where he is running routes um so as i have on the screen here this is an interesting way to attack this spot and get the upside through the chiefs i think that the field will not be going to uh any other gotchas or oh by the ways on this spot no, no, like I said, I think we'll see people glom on to Rasheed Rice as kind of the pay down guy in this in this game. Uh, yeah. His route participation is kind of oscillated with uh, Sky Moore's. Sky Moore's has gone down. Rasheed Rice has gone up. People get to the target for route stuff. But, I mean, the, as a whole, the wide receivers for the Chiefs just aren't overly involved in this offense. They weren't last year. Part of that is because Travis Kelsey occupies a, a significant target share. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're 30th in the league targeting their wide receivers. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. I, I mean, he's more of a, of a, I think if you're only stacking this game, he makes sense. 
uh, as opposed to where I don't know if people will get there as him as like the the play down option or Wando Robinson. I'm not sure what will end up shaking out in terms of ownership in that regard. Yep, I concur. Um, the, again, the Chiefs again in week four switched up their like wide receiver usage. Uh, Justin Watson led the team in snap rate at 43 of the snaps. Um, and that came at the direct expense of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I don't know if this is just a case of Andy's just like kind of done with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I don't know. But Justin uh, Watson is a very similar archetype of wide receiver um, when comparing him to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So I don't know. That might be something to monitor. I'm probably not going to get there myself this week. But for MME bros uh, and broettes, that <laughs> might be uh, something to consider. Um, let's talk about the other kind of late game ha- or late slate hammer here in Philly and the Rams. Uh, I'll just throw it directly over to you. What have you uncovered about this game? Yeah, this is a, a game where I think as opposed to Chiefs Vikings, where, you know, you have a lot of you know heavy core pieces and there are heavy price pieces in this game, but there are just a lot more, I think, unique ways to go about building lineups around this game. And this yeah. is a game that's gotten steam. I think it opened at 46 and a half. It's already, I think, at 50 everywhere else. Like people are interested in this game, having some points. The Rams are first in the NFL in plays per game. The Eagles are fourth. Uh, we're seeing a lot of dropbacks per game already for the Rams, and that's how every team has operated outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the rain against the Philadelphia Eagles. We're getting kind of that that four-quarter pushback against the Eagles we were looking for last year. Uh, every quarterback has thrown the ball 40 or more times against them except for Baker Mayfield. Uh, Matthew Stafford's playing really well. We might have Cooper Cup back in this game. Uh, so I look at it first, like Stafford looks really underpriced on both sides. Uh, and you know, I do like to play quarterbacks typically with some mobility, but he is definitely drawing live for the bonus on DraftKings. I would say for sure. Um, and you can just build a lot around him because of just what he frees up in general. And then I'm just yeah. really curious what happens with Cooper cup being active. Do people want to play Cooper Cup? Does does Cooper Cup being active just push people off of Puka Nakua? Do they just treat it as we're going to take a week and see? And they don't really play either guy. Uh, you know what happens in that situation? There are all of these elements in play in that regard as well. So this game has a lot of pieces though to it. Yes, one of those interesting pieces I think is Tutu Atwell because we look at how he's being utilized, and we talked about this a couple of times this season. How does this offense look when a Cooper Cup comes back? Well, Tutu is still that like Debo Samuel role to this offense. He's the motion man. He is the guy that has seen the most success against man coverage, which is important because the Philadelphia Eagles are playing man coverage at one of the highest rates in the, in the league this year. Um, Tutu Atwell, eight or nine targets in every single one of his games this season. He's seen two carries. Almost took one of those carries for a touchdown, but stepped out at like the one yard line in, I think, week three. Um, He's a guy that's very interesting, whereas Puka is the guy that has been the hammer against zone coverage. Yeah, that's like what Cooper Cup has been over the previous three seasons in this offense. So how does that play together? Well, Sean McVay is one of the coaches where we can expect him to try and maximize the talent that he has. And it just so happens now that he has more talent than he has had at the duration. I mean, since Odell Beckham was in here. Uh, So this is a very interesting spot. Um, And I think the player where I expect to see the least change in his role is actually Tutu. 
Um, and he's got like a 35% targets per route run rate against man coverage this year. He's got like almost a 40% target rate when he is the motion man. And that sets up for very, very interesting potential to exploit the interior of this defense for me. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think that's an, uh, you know, an intriguing take is that people try to fit this together because I don't think many people will get there to him, uh, you know, especially in this matchup. So, I mean, that's a definitely unique stacking partner. And obviously if you play him with, you know, Stafford, you've got a lot of fun money to play with um, in terms of building around that. But he's also can be a one-off, you know, if you're coming with Eagles, you know, on the Eagles side of things, yeah. if you're doing like a Hertz, you know, AJ Brown, the Eagles, we know like can really condense, you know, usage tree. That's why we love them. Um and and now that DeAndre Swift has kind of like taken over this backfield, it just gives us another kind of option as a different bring back. So that's why I said like this game has like multiple pieces. Like you can build a lot of different lineups around this game in particular, yeah. which makes it a lot more, you know, interesting versus the Vikings Chiefs game, which is kind of a little more linear. Yeah. And the, the last piece I think to that puzzle, particularly speaking to the Eagles, is we kind of know how they're going to handle – uh, an opponent that plays a lot of man coverage. They're going to utilize A.J. Brown. But against zone, Dante Smith enters the equation as a premier piece. So that's kind of the biggest issue this week is we can't really hammer down how we expect the Eagles to really attack this spot. We know the Rams play buttloads of zone coverage. So is this a case of you're going to be looking to spread some Eagles exposure around your portfolio, or are you kind of leaning towards uh, guys like Devonte Smith or Deandre Swift in this spot? Yeah, I'm going to probably spread it around just because e even though like AJ Brown has like a, these, these great splits against man, like there's mm -hmm. still like these guys, we, we sometimes can fall in love with uh, the one tilted side of it, but like there's his stuff versus zone is still really good too. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just that, you know, it's like, we talked about like Tyreek stuff earlier versus man. It's like when we get these spots, like it goes crazy. We didn't even talk about Justin Jefferson versus Spags, right? Yeah. Like in a, the same situation, but like those guys like are also really good against uh, all coverages. So it works out. And then we just talked about the, the thin condensed target tree, right? Like we're not seeing anything from Dallas Goddard and mm -hmm. like, I just, I, I'm not going to chase it. Like if it happens, it happens. I just feel like Dallas Goddard's not going to beat me, right? I'm going to make someone beat me with Dallas Goddard because we're just not seeing that any downfield usage, right? Like we're getting all of like this short, just really low A dot stuff from him and like nothing yeah. dynamic, like no dynamic usage. Uh, so I'm really just going to be focusing on the two wide receivers and if I, with Jalen Hurts. And then if I'm doing the other side and I'm playing Stafford, I will be focused on either being back one of those wide receivers in game onslaughts or, you know, adding uh, DeAndre Swift to like more of like a mini environment. I remember people yelling at me when the best ball product launched and I had Dallas Goddard ranked way below consensus. And this is why he has a very, very low red zone role. He has a very, very short for a tight end or mostly moderate or modest uh, a dot. So he needs volume, and when you have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and the running backs and Jalen Hurts stealing red zone work, um, it's kind of that situation similar to Miami where Mike McDaniel's like, I got this Ferrari. I know I have a Porsche here, but I, why would I use the Porsche? I'm going to take the Ferrari out, being Tyreek Hill. It's kind of a similar situation where it's like, bro, I got DeAndre Swift who's crushing souls. I got uh, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith who can beat any coverage. Why would I need to utilize Dallas Goddard? It's like he's not necessarily like a Ford Pinto and he's still a Porsche, but it, why would I take the Porsche out when I got these Ferraris uh, in the garage? Uh, so that's kind of, I think you summarize that spot 
very well. Um, and kind of my take on it as well. Um, I dig the Stafford uh, with Atwell to free up some salary. And Stafford is a guy who has, like you said, been hovering around this 300-yard bonus. And once that touchdown variance hits, yeah, yes, you do. This team, this team, yes, they have extreme red zone rush uh, percentages, but the Philadelphia Eagles have given up one rushing score the entire season, and they are most definitely a pass funnel defense. Their their DVOA and their metrics against the pass are not terrible, but it's simply a case of like the Tennessee Titans where they see increased pass volume against them because teams simply cannot run on this team. So I don't expect Kyron Williams to see another 24, 25, 26 touch game. I don't expect this team to want to bias their attack towards the run in the red zone. So that opens up a very interesting path for Stafford to tack on some touchdowns now to this flirting with 300 yards passing uh, like he has been doing. So I love that show. Um, any other thoughts on this game environment before we'll quickly touch on the other two games here in the late? No, no, let's do it. Cause I know we're against the clock here. Yeah. Uh, we are so good at this, man. We are shot clock warriors. Uh, <laughs> um, let's uh, which game I'll throw it over to you. Which game do you want to cover first? Uh, I'll say Bengals Cardinals. I mean, just yeah. I think this game is so interesting. I mean, uh, we you know lost in the because the Burrow's injury and the way Burrow's performance has been obviously is is leading the cart for the what's yeah. going wrong with the Bengals. But they have had a number of this this defense is not playing well mm-hmm. at all. Twenty uh, fifth in yards per play. They're giving up a ton of explosives in the run game. And what has Drew Petzik done? The, has shown us the opening month of the season is that he can he design likes to run some the football. Explosives. Yeah. He can design some explosives in the run game. So this game is interesting for me. And you don't even have, because I think you don't even have to onslaught it, right? You can make, you don't have to even get to any of the quarterbacks here. I'm not asking anyone to chase Joe Burrow in this situation. You can do small things like Jamar Chase plus James Conner. You can do Joe Mixon because Arizona is giving up a ton of explosives in the run game too. Yeah, uh, You can do Joe Mixon plus Hollywood Brown, who's going to be relatively popular. I know Zach Ertz is really gross, but he's giving me a lot of ton of value at a low bar position. Uh, we've, if T. Higgins misses, it does elevate Tyler Boyd. There are a lot of components of this game that can be paired together that are not pricey on any level around some of the core stuff we've already talked about. And like this game offers a lot of, of, of pathways there, especially when you're talking about even late swapping uh, to options in this game or to get off of stuff. Uh, this game has a lot of different different pieces. Are you at all interested in Mr. Andre Yashovash? I, I I wish if I knew he was gonna like really get like a full out like playing time and they wouldn't yeah. just like play Trent Irwin. Uh because they've done this before with guys like Mike the other Mike Thomas, uh yeah. where like you just go out and you exercise. Like you go <laughs> you you're gonna go out because because they live in eleven personnel, like they, that yep. hasn't changed, but they just have thrown one of these guys out there like in years past and just not targeted him. Um because we know Chase is gonna get a ton of targets. But I mean, listen, I won't push back. I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum that wants to throw, uh, you know, Yoshivas to, to the wind here. Yeah, that's a, that is definitely throwing caution to the wind. But Big athletic dude, though. Yes, I think is an interesting piece. Uh, we'll say preseason warrior. Uh, similar to he's like he's the Mike Boone of wide receivers. We'll just put it like that. Um, interesting. I don't know. Again, I'm a single entry three max guy. I will not be getting there, but uh, I think for mm-hmm. MME, he opens up a lot of fun stuff where salary is kind of at a premium on the slate. Um, 
We talked about how that's likely to influence the running backs, uh, but that's also gun going to influence uh, the wide receivers. That's as well. why I so, like this game outside of chase who obviously comes with, you know, his attached price tag, but yeah. I mean, you can do a lot of things. Yeah. Like James Conner goes overlooked every slate, right? Like <laughs> high workload guy. It's a tight, it's, it's a tight, you know, game line. It's only three points. They're at home. It's a team allowing a ton of explosives in the run game. Like there's an yeah. opportunity. There's an opportunity for him to hit with Chase or a Tyler Boyd. Uh, I think it's a pretty good spot for Mixon, who is in that nebulous price zone we always talk about, right? Like he just kind of falls in a dead zone of pricing. Obviously, David Montgomery is right there. He's gonna be a wildly more popular play um, yeah. than Joe Mixon. And then also, does if T. Higgins is absent, does it impact his receiving role? Does That's he what I was just about to yeah. more of a receiver because we've seen that in the past too. So, I mean, I think that Mixon is a very intriguing tournament play. I think so, too. Kev, thank you for that shout, man. Appreciate your support, dude. Uh, I, I was just thinking when we were going over this is, is this a spot where you can play both running backs in this game? Because both are involved in the pass offense. Yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think just based on the workload. Connor is just a guy that seems like he, I don't know what's going on, like if he's just not going to be priced that yeah. way. Because, you know, last week the game script kind of got in the way, but he averaged five yards per carry against the 49ers in that game. Yeah. Like Drew Petzig is creating, like, he's getting efficient touches in the run game. And we know he's got all the touchdown equity down if they get inside the five. Yep. So, I mean, uh, I think it's 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 plausible. Obviously, you can create a lot of unique minis like we've talked about here. Um, I just think it's a, it's a game I'm kind of excited for. Yeah. Concur. <laughs> last... Last thought there. Any potential interest in Mr. Dobbs here? Maybe. I mean, I'm not going to push against the <laughs> great price. I mean, the fact that he has been so good against the Cowboys and 49ers from a yeah. fantasy stance, like, has to at least – you can't ignore it. Yeah, 100%. Look at this rushing. 41 yards, 55 yards, 48 yards, one touchdown thrown in there. Uh, I think it's interesting. Um, and it, I think it's, uh, it's better than going down and playing, like – Zach Wilson because his game environment sets up for him. But uh, well, let's you know that's a good lead, and let's talk about that game now. Um, let's talk about this Jets and Broncos game. Uh, what are you seeing from this spot? Because I feel like this is a wide range of outcomes alert. Oh yeah, I mean uh, he, Zach Wilson. God bless his soul. I mean, he played in context of Zach Wilson played one of the better games that he's of played. his career. Yeah. Yeah. Last week. He also threw for 6.3 yards for pass attempt, fumbled a snap and had a wide open Garrett Wilson that he overthrew for a touchdown. It yeah. was, it's not like this was like a super clean performance. <laughs> it was in context of the expectations we've had for Zach Wilson. Yeah. But I will say we're going to keep targeting this Denver defense until like it's a great limit test because we're going to keep throwing guys at this. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo in week one was the QB 14. Sam Howell in week two was the QB 13. Obviously, Tua roasted them. Justin Fields, they woke up Justin Fields last week. It was great to see Justin Fields roll that over into last week. Yep. So now, Zach Wilson, you showed us a little something. You gave us a spark of hope. You set some <laughs> embers. You put some embers and the, the, the coals are, are, are getting warmed up. Now you have this objectively really good spot. Make it count. Make it count. Because Broncos defense has been historically through four weeks, one of the worst defenses we've seen in, the yeah. NFL, in, in history of the NFL. They're just the second team since the merger in 1970 to allow 20 or more offensive touchdowns through the first four games of the season. And like I laid out the other quarterbacks, like outside of Tua, like it's not these other like world beaters and they've all been effective, especially for a guy that's coming in under 5k. 
So mm-hmm. I think he's more going to be your large field stuff. Like there are definitely going to be Millie maker lineups around jets. Um, yeah. But also, you know, we'll probably get to it. The, the, the really objective guy that stands out is Brees Hall. Yeah. These two, like I have on the screen right here, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson are not going to go overlooked. And particularly considering all the coach speak surrounding Brees Hall this week, he is going to be rostered. So if I'm going to Brees Hall this week, I'm actually doing it in some fashion like this, where it's like, oh, the Jets actually score four touchdowns and three of them go through Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. Uh, and <laughs> Zach Wilson is able to throw for three of them. I don't know. Uh, we could be... <laughs> It could be just this could be a pipe dream. I don't know. But if I'm going to Brees Hall, I'm looking for ways to play him differently than the field. And I think this is an interesting way to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the Broncos. I mean, uh, 31st in yards for carry allowed the running backs. Uh, they're allowing a league high 25.8 rushing points. They have allowed going back after they faced Josh Jacobs in week one, allowed the RB1 score overall in week two to Brian Robinson. They allowed the RB1 and the RB2 in week uh, three to the Miami running backs. And then last week allowed the RB8 to Khalil Herbert in weekly scoring. I mean, where Brees Hall is priced, I mean, if he if he approaches 70% of the backfield role, like this is an objectifiably great spot. And then we have the narrative street. Like this is where he tore his ACL last year, right? Like, yeah. We have the narrative street, like a little, maybe a little juice, right? You know, so... <laughs> But I mean, Zach Wilson to me still takes like a step of faith because of Zach Wilson, the player with the matchup, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're leading, you're letting the matchup lead the cart. And I never want that to happen. I always want the matchup to be icing on a cake for a good player, right? I always want to start with a good player and then layer in the matchup and say like, yes, now that the spot gets elevated. Anytime you in from fantasy football lead with the matchup, though, usually with a not good player, like in this situation we might have, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes doing that in the years past, right? <laughs> like- but Brees Hall, we know, is a good football player. Like, he's a, anybody, he's a talented football player. <laughs> anybody who has been around one-week season knows that playing a guy like Zach Wilson is not over your boy Hilo's head. I will go there. I yeah. will do it. I'll do it. You can't tempt me with a good time. Um, but if you're looking at this three-player stack real quick and objectively analyzing it, the combined salary of these three players – at a 4x multiplier, you need 21.7 points from each player. I feel like that is objectively within their range of outcomes. You talk about 5x, which is kind of where we need on this state of the NFL to ship GPPs. We're going to need about 27 points per player. So that might be a little bit of a long shot. But I think 4x here on this player block is well within reason at just under 22 points. It's interesting. Then the uh, Jets onslaught where people might think not you, you would maybe want to do something a large field like a million or something like actually is worse because you're going to need a higher score to win something like that. Yeah. I, I would say that more thoughts on this. We'll say, we'll leave it with this more thoughts on this uh, in the end around for inner circle members at one week season uh, and on the slate podcast tomorrow morning. So tune into those inner circle members. If you're not inner circle, go check out one get signed up for inner circle member uh, where you get access to all this theoretical stuff uh, that we're going to be talking about. Also go check out sharp football analysis. You can find all of Rich's work over there. Uh, and if you're looking for a discount code code in the description for 40% off over there, so check those out, Rich. As always, man, thank you so much for joining us. This is such a unique show. 
Thank you, James, for this shout. Top three most valuable shows to watch without question. We appreciate that shout. As always, Rich, thanks for joining me, man. And we will see you next week. Oh, God, I'm not prepared to end the show, guys. I'm so sorry. One week season.